Hey, welcome to Summit. You guys keep coming in if you're coming in. And, um, and I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. So Bobby introduced me and um, my name is Jeff Ward. It's a, really a joy and honor to get to serve here at Watermark now on the external focus team. Um, really just, you know, moving people out into the community to engage the community and use their gifts and their skill sets and their passions to really advance the kingdom. Uh, and transform the community internationally and locally. So if you've got questions about that, man, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't, I didn't uh, offer you an opportunity to come chat with us about that. So welcome. And um, this is really the book for me. I mean, I know you heard Todd talk a little bit about the importance of Romans a few weeks ago. Scott Coy, the last couple of weeks, talked about the importance of Romans and so I'm really excited that we're studying Romans just personally. I'm glad that you guys are here. We're almost halfway through now Summit. And so, man, just encourage you guys to finish strong. I know when the buzzer rings, it's, it's hard to, to not hit snooze and to get up and get, get here. But, uh, man, we, we keep you caffeinated, and it's a good time. And I hope you guys are really enjoying this book together in your small groups. For me, um, even though I was born and, and raised in a Christian home, it wasn't until college when I first began to really learn how to read scripture. And I was at Oklahoma State uh, up in Stillwater and I, I stumbled into this um, small country church. It was called Countryside. And the pastor there was in the middle of a series on Romans where he was going verse by verse, just parsing scripture. And, um, and I walked in and I remember after a few weeks of being there going, man, this is like getting glasses for the first time. So if you, if you have glasses or you wear contacts, you know what that's like. It's like Almost like the images that you used to see that were kind of blurry start becoming more clear. And so these passages that I had read for so long, all of a sudden are jumping off the page and I'm going, man, I didn't even know that this was here. And so right about that time, um, a, a family friend of ours, a guy named Alan Daughtry, he had been an atheist firefighter in Austin, Texas, had come to Christ and ended up planning a church down there. And he just called me one day out of the blue, freshman year of college, I remember and he was just talking, how are things going? How's classes going? How's, you know, uh, what's going on spiritually? And I told him, I said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm reading through Romans and it's, um, it's really been enlightening really for me in so many ways. And so a few days later, I got this manila envelope, no note, no nothing. I just kind of put two and two together and uh, realized it was from Alan, but it was this old tattered, no dust cover, um, red commentary on the book of Romans. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so we were going through Romans anyway at church and not, so I'll just start reading along with this commentary. And really guys, that revolutionized the way, I mean, just the going slowly through this book and with the help of that commentary, providing context, it really revolutionized not only my, my walk, but how I studied scripture. And so I was super excited to learn that we we're in Romans. And so we're in Romans five and six. Um, hope you did your homework this week and read this book. But um, let me start out by this. Let me, let me ask this. So this church seems like it gets younger and younger. And so a lot of times my stories kind of go over heads, you know, younger folks. So who was actually uh, at an age where they were ordering pizza in the late 1980s, early 90s? I know I was in college, law school. All right. So there's a few of us in here. So you might remember Domino's Pizza and they were running this ad campaign back uh, during that time called Get It Fast or Get It Free. How many of you guys remember that? Anybody? Okay. So the, the deal was, it was great for guys who were pulling all-nighters, because, man, we could order pizza, and, man, we got that pizza in 30 minutes, and it was hot, and that was a win. If it didn't come in 30 minutes, we got it free, right? Another win for a poor college kid. And so um, if you guys remember this ad campaign, if the delivery driver didn't get it there in 30 minutes, it was free. 
And it was a, it was a genius marketing campaign. The problem was is that their delivery driver started running into other people. They were racing to get the pizza there, and there was some you know, uh, claim that the corporate, you know, Domino's corporate was putting pressure on the drivers to get there, you know, on time because it was affecting the bottom line and even some stories about, you know, guys taking it out of the driver's paycheck if they didn't. And so there were these high profile crashes. There were some high profile lawsuits that happened as a result of that. And so, um, we were studying this during, uh, during the end of college and, and early law school and the claims were made that, that Domino's, the company, was vicariously liable for the acts of its drivers. It was this concept of vicarious liability or, hey, the, uh, the company, even though it wasn't the one who was out there smashing into other people, was responsible for the acts of its employees. And so it was this idea of imputation and it was this doctrine uh, in the legal world called respondeat superior, which is just a big dollar word. It's Latin and it means let the master answer. And it goes all the way back to, to the origins of our law and English law um, way back. And so we were studying this, um, and then these high-profile cases, um, one of them resulted in a $78 million punitive damage award, which at that time was even uh, more overwhelming than it sounds today. And then there were several other multi-million dollar lawsuits, which effectively put an end to this whole ad campaign. Um, so um, how is all of this relevant to Romans 5? Well, because Paul spends a ton of time taking us to school here in Romans 5 before we get to Romans 6. And just my, my nature is to kind of rush through Romans 5 and get to Romans 6, which is all about unity in Christ and how we walk and, and the sanctification process. But I really knuckled down this week and spent some time in Romans 5. And I was like, what is Paul trying to teach here that will really preface and set up what Romans 6 has to tell us? And so um, it is this whole idea. We heard it last week. We talked about it the week before of justification. Right, which if you remember um, what we learned last week, justification is a legal term. So it is God declaring us righteous even though we are not righteous. And so one of the things that happened to me recently was I um, allegedly ran a red light. And I've got, some, uh, I've got some reasons why I was going where I was going at the time and why I was in the intersection. But the reality is, is man, I did it. If you look at the law and you look at what I did... Man, I'm guilty, right? In fact, I'm going to be spending a little time with Plano PD uh, coming up in their how not to run a red light class. But the reality of that was that it would be like me standing in front of the judge and going, judge, I did it. I did the crime. And the judge pointing at me and going, but I'm going to declare you innocent, right? Even though I know I'm not. And then going further and saying, I'm declaring you righteous. And so that's this idea of justification that Paul's talking about. But he's also talking here in this chapter particularly about this concept of imputation, So that's our words, not his, but this whole idea of putting the blame and the act and the conduct of one onto another. And this is um, bad news, frankly, for us, if if you've been reading Romans 5, because he says this whole idea is that this one man, this first Adam, who had this perfect environment in the garden, this perfect relationship with God, um, creation at his disposal, messed it up. And through his failure and his disobedience and his desire to be his own master, um, fell and and broke that relationship with God, um, with our creator. And that all of this, this failure, this disobedience, this condemnation was transferred through his downline. And we're all in his downline, right? And so all of that was transferred to us as descendants of Adam, regardless of 
um, who we are today, people group, um, language, um, all of that. But there's good news, right? And that's that one man's obedience and righteousness through Christ um, is imputed to us as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, while we are not righteous, God has declared us righteous. And this whole concept of through Adam, and so you see this in Romans 5, um, Paul is making his case, and he's laying out this evidence of this bad news of who we were through Adam and who we are in Adam. And so read with me, if you will, if you've got your Bibles, pull them out. Romans five, twelve. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned, right? And so Paul is saying here that through Adam, sin entered the world, and through Adam, death came, and not just physical death, but spiritual death, right? And through that death and through sin, there was this broken relationship with God. And while we all individually sin, because he says here, because all sinned, we all individually sin, right? Regardless of our sin nature and this idea of original sin, um, we have this deeper sin nature, this deeper connection with Adam, our human father, and this original sin, this sin nature that has, that is inherent in us. And so um, if you ever talk to people who talk about being inherently good, I mean, if any of you guys have kids, you know that inherently we are not good, right? So, um, and, and if you don't have kids, all you have to do is take a, grab a couple of toddlers. I mean, hopefully those are your family members and not kids in starting blocks. But grab a couple of toddlers with, and put them in a room with a single toy and just stand back and watch. Right? We don't have to teach greed, pride, arrogance, hatred, avarice. That stuff is innate. And it goes back to this problem, this universal problem with Adam. And then he goes on. Read with me uh, Romans 5.14. So just a couple of verses later, we'll move to that slide. Um, And it says, Yet death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam, who is a type of the coming one, transgressed. And so Paul's wanting us to see that Adam is a type and this idea of typology, right? So that people in the Old Testament being a prefiguring or a pattern or a precursor to Christ the Messiah. We see this with the high priest of Melchizedek. We see this with Jonah. Even Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah being in the belly for three days and that being a sign. And so what he's talking about here is Adam being a type, a forerunner to Christ um, in this imputation idea. And what's interesting is if you try to explain a difficult concept to somebody, one of the most effective ways you can do that is by comparing and contrasting the two ideas. This happened um, to us this week. So my son Hayden is in seventh grade, and he made the tennis team at his school. And so the coach calls us this week. He's been playing with his coach for a few weeks. And the coach calls us and says, hey, you know, Hayden's got a good game, but I think it can improve with a better racket. And uh, I don't think the coach was really happy with our 10-year-old Walmart special. So, so off we go on Saturday down to the store that he had recommended. And we're talking to the sales guy. And the sales guy just happens to be a tennis pro at one of the local places. And he starts talking to us about rackets. And I take Hayden's racket and we've got it. And so he starts talking about strings and gauge and width and depth and size. And I'm like, hold on, time out. I said, you got to speak English to me. I mean, like, what, what are we talking about here? And so... Patiently, he pulls one of the, the other rackets off the wall, the one that he's going he's gonna to eventually sell us, and he puts it side by side with Hayden's racket, and he just shows it to us, and he says, hey, look, 
Look at the difference in the grip length, and look at the, the, the size of you know, the, the racket head, and look at the tension on the strings. We can string these tighter. You'll get a different you know, um, ball bounce off of it. And, and just began to explain the differences as they were side by side. And all of a sudden, we were like, okay, yeah, I get it. Right? I can understand when I compare and contrast. And guys, that's what Paul's doing right here in this section of um, Romans, is he's comparing and contrasting. And what he really wants us to see is that we have this universal problem that through Adam, we are um, full of sin, disobedience, under condemnation, and that all of that was inherited by us and imputed to us and that we share this connection, that Adam wanted to be his own master and God said, okay, you can be your own master, but we're going to let the master answer. And we're going to let everybody who descends from Adam answer for that as well. But then we have this comparison of through Christ. And so we'll jump back to the beginning of Romans 5 where Paul started. And he said, but there's good news too. There's this solution. And so read with me Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, there's that idea of justification. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. So through this comparison and contrast, Paul again is saying, Adam, the first human being, sinned. And in him, all human beings have sinned, all died. But there's a remedy, right? That through Christ, we are declared righteous. And through Christ, we have peace with God. And through Christ, we have access to this grace. And through Christ, we can rejoice in God. Through Christ, we are reconciled to God the Father. And that's good news. And this is important because it means that if Jesus was not just a Jew who died on the cross for Jewish sins, right? A Jewish Messiah. If he is the second Adam or the second man, as Paul describes him later in 1 Corinthians, then he came to solve a universal problem. Not just for Jews and not just for Muslims and not just for us here in America, but for past, present, and future across all um, generations and people groups Um, He is the answer and the solution to this innate sin, this original sin that we have. And Paul's not just comparing the acts of Christ and his obedience with with Adam, because what he wants us to see is the all-surpassing greatness, right, of what Christ did for us. And so it wasn't that just that Christ came and lived a sinless life and was sacrificed for us and that our sins, you know, that we had Adam's sin imputed to us, our sins imputed to Christ on the cross, and then but that God went further and said, hey, I'm going to impute to you now the righteousness of my son Christ. And that is just an amazing truth. And through this great exchange that we call it, you know, um, God says, you failed as a master. Now let the real master step in and provide a real solution that will cut across on all generations for all time, that will cover all sin, past, present, and future. That's good news. And so I put this slide together, The Great Exchange, because um, as I was flipping back and forth, it was just um, exciting to me as I kind of saw these words jump out about who we were through Adam and who we are, you know, through Christ. And Paul's wanting us to be strengthened in our faith and just free us from this idea of legalism or this idea that somehow our works merit us favor with God. You know, um, JP and I got to spend a few a few days in New York City last week, and um, we, got, we had a day to spend kind of walking through the city. 
And regardless of whether we were talking to the Occupy Wall Street squatters or uh, an epileptic drug addict in Times Square or the Sikh uh, cab driver or the Sunni Muslims that we talked to or the disabled street musicians, I mean, he described it as a buffet of people. But um, it was interesting people, but we would always ask them about their faith. And the constant theme that we heard from all those guys was, hey, there's a little bit of truth in all religions, right? There's not really one path. We're just going to pull the best from each of these and then ultimately hope that we get there. And that really is the distinction between our faith as believers in Christ and every other religion in the world is that every other religion in the world says you've got to clean up your act to some degree to have access to God, to be reconciled to God, whereas Christianity says the opposite. Come as you are, but by grace, through faith... You can be reconciled to God who will then complete the process of sanctification that you see in Romans 6. Who will then begin to work with you, with the Holy Spirit, to make you into who you are. And that's good news. And that's the foundation of the great biblical truth of justification by grace alone, through faith alone. All of God's wrath, all the condemnation, all of his desire for holiness to be satisfied is completed through the work of Christ on the cross. All right, so what's the connection from Romans 5 to Romans 6? So we've been talking about justification, legal declaration of righteousness, that God has wiped away all of our sins, past, present, future, through faith in Christ, and declared us righteous. And now Paul moves into this discussion of sanctification and our right response to that amazing truth. And sanctification is a big word, that simply means the process of becoming righteous, becoming holy. Can I get that Romans 6-1 slide? Um, the process of becoming righteous, becoming holy, becoming set apart, becoming who God wants us to be. And God's saying, hey, I want you to, you've been declared righteous, now I want you to live up to that, right? And your lives to reflect that verdict that I've made. And so read with me Romans 6-1. What shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In fact, Paul goes on through this chapter. So he's making these arguments, right? He's playing the devil's advocate and he's, he's being a good lawyer, right? And he's, he's saying, hey, how can, you know, if it's all about grace, then man, the response to that is going to be, well, man, we'll just keep on sinning, man. We're sin, sin abounds, grace abounds to more. And so what he's saying is that's impossible to live a life that is in Adam when you are in Christ. Is basically what he's saying. And while we struggle with sin and we're going to continue to struggle with sin, we are no longer slaves to it. And that's the exciting part about Romans 6. And so um, as, we, as we move on to the next slide, so in, in Adam versus in Christ. I put this together because as I was prepping to talk to you guys this morning, I was looking at Romans 5 and I was looking at Romans 6 and looking at Romans 5 and back and forth between those two chapters. And, it, and um, this the striking contrast between who we were in Adam, the condemnation, the sin, and the death, and who we are in Christ. And so I did a little bit of study and kind of pulled out some other scriptures that talked about who we are in Christ. We are a new creation, a new life. We are created for good works, Ephesians 2.10 says. We are dead to sin, alive to God. We are reconciled to God. I mean, think about that for just one second. Like, you know, Christ's death on the cross and repentance and allowing us even to get back into a right relationship with God. But even as he went further and said, hey, I'm going to adopt you as sons of God. And I'm going to let you inherit the righteousness of my son. And I'm going to give you eternity with me, man. That's, 
that's a greater exchange. Reconciled to God, we are adopted sons of God. We have every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1 says. We can be joyful in everything. We have an eternal future with Christ. And one day, um, Todd, we were in staff prayer, and Todd said, hey, let's just take a few minutes and talk about who we were in Adam. He was basically saying, hey, who, were, who would you be today if Christ had not intervened? Stop and think about that for a second. Who would you be today without the grace and without God pursuing you and without Christ's intervention in your life? I can tell you my, my life would be ugly. I'd probably be divorced. Definitely wouldn't be a dad to my kids. Um, I'd be chasing the American dream and adding church to it. But where would you be? And you might even spend some time in your groups, you know, talking about that. And then just spending some time thanking the Lord for his power and just the way he's intervened in your life. To help us be leaders of ourselves, first and foremost, and then leaders of our families, right? And trying to, and being here at Summit, and diving into Romans, and looking into that mirror and going, man, God changed me, right? All right, so what? This is my last slide. All right, and... and um, why is all this important? And I just think, guys, as you go through Romans, man, if you're not pulling out the principles and figuring out how to um, think about those rightly, pray those into your heart, and then live those out, then we're missing it. So this, this is the so what that I came up with, and I hope, I hope you have your own. Number one, we know who we are or who we were without Christ. And this doctrine humbles me, humbles us. It obliterates this whole works-based you know, mentality that we don't just do bad things, but we are bad. And so that means we need a solution outside of ourselves to fix that situation. Um, and we're in trouble. And any good that I might do um, is just not enough. I was born this way. I need help. It's a universal problem. And it takes away this degree of sin. Like, well, I'm not as bad a sinner as somebody else, right? It takes that all away because we're all on level footing. Number two, the more we understand who we were in Adam the more we marvel at God's pursuit of us and just an understanding of God's grace. And it gets rid of those tapes that we play in our head. So if you're a guy like me, whether it's a sin committed 10 years ago or a sin committed 10 minutes ago, there's this tape that plays in my head. And it's just the accuser, man, saying, hey, man, you're still having sin, you know, those lustful thoughts. Man, who are you? You're not a son of God. You know? You, uh, you compromised your integrity there, man. Who are you? You're not a son of God. You're a hypocrite. You're ineffective. Those are the tapes that play over in our heads, I think. And so this truth right here, gang, is what helps us to answer those tapes, right? It's by going, man, we know God is faithful, pursued me in that while I was still a sinner, he died for me, right? And so that's good news. And so we can answer um, the accuser. Number three, we know who we are now in Christ. We're a new creation, dead to sin, dominating us. So we still sin, we still struggle with sin, we put to death sin, we were united with Christ, but yet it's lost its domination. Christ has ultimately conquered sin. And that we live by this power that's greater than us, the Holy Spirit. We understand, number four, the universal problem and the universal solution. And so we want to tell people about that. I mean, it increases our evangelism because we want to free people from the change that we used to be in, right? Of this idea of a works-based faith. And the reality is it's never been about us. It's always been about him, right, and his work for us. Fifthly, we have assurance. We don't have to doubt God's good intentions. Um, we just know that, man, if we were this bad and God imputed Christ's righteousness to us, that he's going to be faithful 
to continue that process and perfect our faith ultimately. All right, lastly, we want to live up to who we are in Christ. While we continue to struggle with sin, we know that Christ has conquered it ultimately. We want to yield ourselves daily more and more to the work of the Spirit in our lives. So we have a choice. We can continue to live in Adam. We can continue to live in those old patterns of sin. Or we can live in Christ, daily dying to self and yielded to the Spirit. And that, my friends, is really why Romans 5 and Romans 6 is so important. Why we need to understand that. Why we need to let that soak into our heads, pray it into our hearts, and work it out in our lives. All right. So, before we we pray our way out of here and we go to our groups... Um, Bobby wanted me to remind you guys. We'll put up that other slide. So when you first came to Summit, you got a chart. And it was blank. And I think the other one is the one Blake has filled out. But I hope that you're using this as a tool as you go through Scripture to um, define it in terms of words that will help you make these principles memorable, um, uh, will help you track with the progress of Romans and the arguments that Paul is making. Uh, and for the purpose, really, of um, applying it to our lives. And regardless of the format, if this works for you, great. If it's writing in your Bible as you're talking in your community groups and you're putting those phrases or those words at the top of those passages, that's great, too. Whatever works to get you to, to make these principles memorable and to live them out um, is what we want to be about. All right, the format is not as important. So, lastly, if you're new to Summit, um, you'll go to the loft for the large group time. And, um, and then if you have questions before you run to your groups, feel free to meet with us down here. All right. So pray with me real quick, guys. Lord, um, we just thank you. We're just awestruck. I mean, you know, just reading back through Romans 5. It just um, who you are, who we were in Adam, Lord, that you pursued us while we were um, at enmity with you, while we were enemies, Lord, um, you sent your son to be the universal solution to the universal problem. Father, and if we would just put our grace, I mean, through your grace, if we would just put our faith and trust in that act, Lord, that you give us not only just a status quo with you, just a, um, uh, an access to you, Father, but you've adopted us as sons of God, and you've given us a, um, an inheritance and in eternity with you. And Lord, we just, we're humbled. Um, we praise you and thank you for that work. I pray that as we go now, just in our small groups, Lord, that we would just um, mull over the truth of your word, that we would look at Romans as a mirror, and that we would look, compare it to our lives, and that we would um, live up to who we are in you. Father, just thank you for this day. I pray that we would um, honor and glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.